The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, and this is another edition of the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast. That's right. The quarantine chronicles roll on, and I just wanted to start out by saying how much I appreciate all of you tuning in, being a part of this crazy journey, this self-isolation quarantine period, really just an unprecedented time in American history. We are entering later on this week, the third week, without any sports. It's crazy, and the reason that I wanted to do this start up the quarantine chronicles is just to create content keep the podcast going talk to some interesting people hear what they're doing during this unbelievable time and get to know them a little bit better thanks so much for tuning in follow me on social media at drew butler of course by now i hope you're following the show at punt and pass we've had some awesome guests the past two weeks we're going to keep it going this week today's guest is taylor twelman a lot of you may know taylor Some of you may not know Taylor, but Taylor is a former MLS soccer player. He's currently ESPN's lead analyst and color commentator for Major League Soccer. Taylor was a five-time All-Star for the New England Revolution. He was also the MLS League MVP during a nine-year career with the New England Revolution. During that time, he was a member of the United States international soccer team, earning 30 caps and scoring six goals playing for his country. He ended his MLS career having scored the most goals in league history and was the youngest player to score 100 goals at the age of 29. Like I said, currently he's ESPN's lead soccer analyst and color commentator for their MLS coverage. Taylor's been a buddy of mine for a couple years. We got linked up between some mutual golf friends when I was in Arizona playing for the Cardinals. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome follow on social media as well, at Taylor Twelman on Twitter and Instagram. A lot of you may remember his famous rant when the United States missed out on the World Cup in 2016 when they lost to Trinidad and Tobago, and he went off on SportsCenter. You can catch Taylor. He's on ESPN Radio a good bit. He's pretty active on ESPN's digital side as well. Just an awesome guy, so we'll get to that interview in just a bit. But I really just wanted to start out by saying I hope everybody has really been enjoying the Quarantine Chronicles. Look, it's no surprise that I love podcasting. Um, I've talked about how I listen to Tim Ferriss a good bit. I also listen to Lewis Howes a lot. Kind of the inspiration for what I've been doing with the Quarantine Chronicles. It's been crazy, right? I mean, everybody's 
locked up at home. Murray's down in Tampa. We talked to him last week, him and Sharon. Sharon's pregnant. The XFL season got canceled early. They're not sure when they're going to come back to Atlanta. It's just hard to do anything with consistency right now, especially when there's no sports to talk about, which was the impotence for me, just kind of going throughout my network, asking people, hey, do you have 15, 30, 45 minutes to jump on the podcast and just talk, shoot the breeze? I mean, that's literally all I'm saying when I'm reaching out to people who may be of interest to, I think, our audience. We've spoken to PGA Tour golfers. We've spoken to NFL players. We spoke to NFL draft prospects like Rodrigo Blankenship. Last week, we had a couple of awesome guests on. Trevor Mowad, who is a mental conditioning coach, and Dr. Brett McCabe, who's a sports psychologist and behavioral change expert. I'm just trying to run the gambit. I really am. I'm trying to find out who is most interesting to talk to, who can provide a little bit of a mental vacation, who can give our listeners actionable advice, right? If you tune in for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, the whole thing, or even just a five-minute snippet, 15 minutes here or there, hopefully you're gaining something and really just enjoying listening to the podcast. I figured why not, right? Create something out of the madness that's going on. Hopefully when this is all over, I can look back, have about 20 podcast episodes that are evergreen. People can listen to them whenever they need a little bit of inspiration or want to take a little bit of a break or maybe missed out on somebody that they didn't catch when it originally had dropped. So if you have any requests for who you think might be a great fit for one of these quarantine chronicles, Send it to me. Send it to me on social media, at Drew Butler on Twitter and Instagram. I will gladly reach out to them. Again, it's just been super easy because nobody has anything going on. It's been great because if you do slide into somebody's DMs and say, hey, can you jump on with me real quick, you know most likely they're not going to have a legitimate excuse to get away from you. So I've kind of taken advantage of that. Everybody's been super grateful with their time, and I've learned a ton Hopefully you have as well. One more time, if you have any requests, let me know who you want me to talk to. I've got a couple of people in mind who I want to reach out to. I'm going to continue doing this, hopefully as often as daily, if not up to three times a week, give everybody something to look forward to. So let's go ahead and roll into this interview. Again, our guest today is Taylor Twelman, former MLS MVP, five-time All-Star with the New England Revolution, played on the United States international team, and now he is ESPN's lead soccer analyst and color commentator for their MLS coverage. Without further ado, let's welcome in Taylor Twelman. All right, let's welcome in our guest on this episode of the Quarantine Chronicles, a good buddy of mine, somebody who I think a lot of people will most certainly recognize. That, of course, is Taylor Twelman. Taylor, thanks so much for joining us, man. Crazy times indeed. Obviously, you're ESPN's lead soccer analyst and color commentator for their MLS coverage. MLS was just getting ready to rock and roll. Two games under the belt for most all teams and... The self-isolation quarantine period starts. No sports whatsoever. Give us a little bit of insight um, on the state of the MLS right now as nothing is going on, and two expansion teams were just getting their season started. Yeah, Drew, you lost like 70% of the viewers when you introduced me as a soccer analyst. You know that, right? <laughs> no, we're in Atlanta, man. Everybody loves the United. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Good point. My apologies. Atlanta fans uh, know me very well because I uh, rightfully predicted that that market can't support uh, professional soccer, and I was 100% correct on that one. So um, long story short, 
Uh, MLS of all the leagues, and this includes Major League Baseball, is in the best shape because, one, Major League Baseball has to find a way to play 162 games. MLS has to find a way to play roughly 34. You could play 30 games and still have a complete season, right? So it's given themselves a little bit of breathing room, but you and I are talking here late March. Now, where does this end up, you know, if we're talking end of April? into the middle of May, and you still haven't seen the teams get together and start a training camp and prepare for games in mid to late March, uh, May, excuse me, then you're talking about a very tricky situation. Now, Drew, I was on uh, SportsCenter when this initially was announced, and Major League Soccer may have a unique opportunity here to align themselves with the rest of the Western European football soccer world and having a June to June schedule versus what they're doing now and having the entire season in a calendar year. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's so important is one, when you're buying and selling players, you're now aligned with the rest of the world. Right now, major league soccer is not aligned with the rest of the world because when their season starts in, you know, late February of that calendar year, Though the rest of the teams in Europe that you're looking to buy players or even sell your players to, they're already three-quarters of the way through their season. So um, MLS is obviously disappointed in the sense that Miami didn't get their home debut with David Beckham's team. Uh, Nashville did get their na- uh, debut, and obviously, you know, 50,000-plus in Nashville and whatnot. But their season isn't over, and their most important part of their season isn't at all in jeopardy. So I'd say right now, Major League Soccer is just going to play their hand, you know, correctly and and make the most out of it. Uh, but there is a unique opportunity there. Yeah, no question, and it's extremely unique because unlike baseball, which was still in spring training, like you just said, MLS had two weeks under their belt. Speaking from a player preparedness or even a player safety issue, you know, you can't just get these guys back in the locker room and say, hey, guys, we're going to play a game on Saturday or Sunday. There's going to have to be, like you said, an acclimation period where guys are going to be able to get their legs back underneath them and get ready to play the schedule again, right? Would you expect that to happen when we get back rocking and rolling? Yeah, I would. Um, I, I don't know, though. They, you know, it, Drew, you know this as well as anyone. Like, how do you quarantine the players then? Yeah. Like that that's where this thing gets confusing for me and it's ultimately it's above my pay grade because once you determine you're going to play games with or without fans and that's a different debate um you can't let those players go home like you can't let those players mingle outside the games can you no. I, I I don't think you can and so you know, as nasty as this is going to get, which is remarkable that it's going to get even worse, if you really have aspirations of putting the players together, one, they got to have a small training camp to get in together, but those guys can't leave. You've got to be in control of that set athlete the entire time. And now you're looking at, wait a minute, you know, six, eight weeks, potentially of those players being quarantined from their own families and their personal lives. Like this this is a complicated matter to say the least, but I don't know where you are drew on this. I I do believe if you can pull it off and I've done this, you know, I've played soccer games in stadiums with no fans due to suspensions or racism bans or whatever it may be. 
you're better off playing the game with no fans than not playing games at all. No, I, I, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I mean, even looking at what has happened with the NCAA canceling everything through the College World Series, I mean, you're talking about a complete season lost and seniors and juniors who may or may not be going pro sitting there going, I didn't even get a chance. Now, I know we're talking about professional athletes, but like you said, from a public safety perspective, I think you need to play the games. Try to control as much as you can because there is no doubt this is, a wild set of circumstance and you have to navigate around that but you got to play the games you're going to have to pay the players you have to get on with the 25th season of major league soccer and i think that they will end up doing that and um you know i just said i'm in atlanta everybody loves atlanta united when they open up the upper deck inside mercedes-benz stadium they pack the place out and there's really just an atmosphere and a buy-in from the fan base that i think makes soccer so special and atlanta is one of the more popular teams in the nation taylor i speak to that atmosphere and i want to ask you more so about the ownership and the team really embracing the fan base better than any other sport. Why do you think that's so important when it comes to soccer? And then it, it continues to bring more expansion teams national this year. And Drew, um, it's a very good question. Yeah, um, St. Louis is getting one. Your hometown's getting one in 2022. Yeah, like it, it's a it's a good question. They, soccer around the world is a democratic sport. And I'm not bringing politics in it, but it's a, it's a, a, you know, the sport, and especially right now, you want to talk about, you know, everyone talks about Liverpool and winning the title. Does it go through? That has nothing to do with it. Those towns, those people, they make money when the club does well. Yep. You, you know, I, I often, you often hear me say, for those of you that are listening and that hear me cover the sport, it's inclusive, not exclusive around the world. Now, Major League Soccer is a little different, Drew, in the sense that you have expansion fees and owners buying in where the rest of the world is promotion relegation. But the nature of the fan, the nature of the sport, it's democratic. It's for the people. It's it's about the people. It's about the fans. And it's about all kinds of fans. And it's about all levels of fans. And it's, like I said, it's inclusive. So uh, that's the most unique part about the sport. Um I think the other part is it's a 90-minute game, right? Yeah. And, and for some of your listeners that don't fully understand it, baseball's hit a real wall for anyone under the age of 45, Drew, because quite honestly, it's like well, I don't have three hours a night for 162 days. I just don't have that. And that's where I think soccer's thrived, where Atlanta in particular has surprised the absolute heck out of me. And it's not as if I just – throw stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. But growing up, Drew, for me, being a massive St. Louis Cardinals fan, the Atlanta Braves, my entire childhood, won the division. Yep. They won the division, right? And yet, they they struggled selling out until, like, game seven of the playoffs. And you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're looking at how many division titles in a row? What was it, 11, 12, 13? And, and, and yet, they're struggling to sell out. So when Everyone's coming to me saying, no, Arthur Blank, the family, they've bought in. I'm looking at it saying, wait a minute. And I couldn't have been more wrong. I think in large part because Arthur Blank literally wrote the book on how you treat a team. It's not the Atlanta Falcons and then two or three steps below the Atlanta United team. It's not. That's the way 
other MLS owners have treated the NFL owners have treated their MLS clubs. Arthur Blank put it, it was one A, one B, dude. And I think the moment you set that tone, now the fan knows you're a hundred percent in and committed. Now they made great signings with Tata Martino, who are you know, you coach in Barcelona, Argentina to bring that pedigree into the league and then you go get Miguel Almarone and Joseph. It the thing's been a huge surprise. It's been great for the league. It's you know, do do I still have a criticism of Atlanta? Absolutely. The fact that they play on turf, it, it, yeah, it bothers the heck out of me. Um, Drew, just because at some point Messi's going to come play in Major League Soccer and he would play in Atlanta in two seconds if that thing was grass. No, no That's question. fact, not opinion, right? And so, but but Arthur Blank, the way he's treated it, would it surprise you if he knows he can get Messi? He's like, no, you know what? We're going to put grass in. Like, nothing <laughs> would surprise me with him. And that's a credit to him and that and that ownership. No doubt. I think the unsung hero of Atlanta sports is Darren Eels. Darren Eels, the club president. Yep. Uh, obviously, he was at Tottenham beforehand. Arthur Blank brought him over when he when he bought Atlanta United and got the expansion team within the MLS. I was at the live Men and Blazers show during All-Star Week a couple years ago, Taylor, and Eels was there talking with Raj and Davo, and he kind of brought that sense of community from the English Premier League to Atlanta. I think it was one of the uniform unveiling nights, and Arthur Blank wanted to invite all the news and do a red carpet and a step and repeat, and Eels kind of said, what the hell are you talking about? Absolutely not. We're going to go to a bar. They went to Fado, which is an awesome Irish pub, and he said, you are sitting at the bar, you're buying drinks, and you are talking with the fan base, and now everybody calls him Uncle Arthur. I mean, they chant Uncle Arthur during the games, as you know, and it's just that complete buy-in, which has made Atlanta United a weekend event. People go to it. I mean, I live in the suburbs. You go to Atlanta United games, and that's that 90-minute efficiency point, as well. That all-star game against, yeah, to, that, to your point, dude, uh, it was that all-star game against Juventus, and we had Arthur Blank on, and I won. Many people would think I was told what to ask. Arthur Blank said, you can ask me whatever you want. How refreshing is that? That's awesome. Uh, two, I would have asked whatever I wanted anyways, but that's besides the point. But more so, I said, what's the biggest surprise to you? And he said, the fact that Atlanta Falcons season ticket holders want to trade in their tickets for Atlanta United. That's awesome. Now, that is what, literally six months after they just lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's not as if the Falcons were 1-15 the year before, dude. You know what I mean? Yep. That's where you're like, wow. But but what you just described is is perfect for the listeners because the the NFL would never go sit at a bar and do that. The, the NBA would never go do that. That's that is soccer. That's what I mean by democratic community. It's all about the people. It's, that is exactly what that is. And Darren Eels has been a huge part of that. When they first started, Paul McDonough went out and signed players, Carlos Bocanegra. They've just done everything first class, and they've been a real example to everyone else. It's awesome. And, um, you know, we don't know when the season's going to resume, but one team that may benefit from this break is Atlanta United. Joseph Martinez torn ACL. I mean, who knows how long this could go. They were expecting him to maybe, which I think is insane. I think you would agree, being around sports and knowing how bad a torn ACL would be for a soccer player, but maybe he would come back late in the season. You know, the more time, the better for Joseph Martinez. You led the league in scoring when you retired. You were the the top goal scorer in MLS. I mean, quickly speak to how special Joseph Martinez is, and then I also want you to tell our listeners why you think he has stayed with Atlanta United rather than jettisoning off somewhere else like Miguel Amaral did for uh, Newcastle. 
Well, I think first off, he's a very special player in the sense that there is a chip on his shoulder the size of Mount Everest, and he lives and dies and breathes scoring goals. And he's going to do anything he can. Ultimately, that's why he hurt his ACL. He's just that kind of player. And knowing from experience, when you've got that sixth sense where you won't put your body on the line, you're going to score goals for fun. And Joseph Martinez is that. He's one of the more competitive SOBs I've ever met, I've ever watched. Uh, It's been a real thrill of mine to call his games and to watch him for afar. And that's the extra injury. You know this better than anyone. When you hear about players giving everyone around them, making them quote-unquote better, that also includes making everyone play about 5 6% higher than their natural ability because they're trying to keep up with him. Because of that competitive streak and because of that ability to score at will, everyone around him has a little bit more pressure to deliver, and ultimately it raises the bar. It's a huge part. Uh, I, I think he still has an opportunity to go somewhere. I think he has stayed because, one, he's playing consistently. Uh, the MLS fan wouldn't know this because they didn't really follow him too much beforehand, but he wasn't playing consistently in Italy, and when he did play, he was playing out of position. Now I think he's made it known to around the world that he's a goal scorer, he's a center forward, he's not a winger, he's not going to play wide in a front three, whatever it may be. He's a flat-out goal scorer, and he's going to play through the middle. And when Atlanta committed, you know, $3 million plus that, you know, annually for about four years, he's not going to go anywhere. Now, in saying that, this ACL injury does work for Atlanta's perspective because, one, they don't have to play without him. And I do think that was going to be a huge concern. But, two, it doesn't take a ton of time off of his career. So if he gets healthy – and, Drew, I – you and I both know what ACLs are and what they mean, but Adrian Peterson and some of these athletes have completely changed my theory on yeah. like, well, wait, maybe it is possible. Like I, I don't know that. So to say he can't do it. Yeah. It's highly unlikely, but I can't say he can't because every time I've said Joseph Martinez can't do something, he looks right at me, you know, <laughs> it shows me the middle finger and says, wait a minute. Yes, I can. So it, he and I have really enjoyed, um, I've enjoyed sitting down with him, talking with him, but he is a special player, and he's worth every every ticket price Atlanta wants to charge for him to play. He's worth every penny. No question. He's definitely a force multiplier, raises the bar for everybody on the field, and, and been a huge factor for Atlanta United's success. They're off to a great start, 2-0 and through the two weeks. Now, obviously, the season has been postponed. i got two last soccer questions for you, then I want to get into your media career a little bit. Quickly, how important do you think soccer-specific stadiums are for fan experience and club success? And then will the MLS ever move to a pro-reg model? Uh, One, soccer-specific stadiums is what changed Major League Soccer. Now everyone will say Mercedes-Benz Stadium is a football stadium. Sure, it is. However, when you're drawing 45,000-plus, it then fits in. Seattle then can get away with it. I played for the New England Revolution in Gillette Stadium, 15, 16,000, that doesn't work. Uh, the reason, two reasons why soccer-specific stadiums work. One, every dollar you spend in that stadium goes to you. Mm-hmm. That is extremely important for trying to grow a business. Two, most importantly, it says a statement, well, no, this is our house. We're, we're not filling in. We're not renting it. This is our building. This is our culture. This is our climate. This is our uh, atmosphere, whatever buzzword you want to use. And that's to, to create a culture and to create a tradition. 
you need that. And when you see cities like Cincinnati and Nashville and St. Louis and Minnesota and Sacramento and all these teams building those stadiums coming in, there's real value to that. Atlanta's the outlier. Uh, but you go to LAFC, and I'll argue with anyone, Atlanta in front of 68,000, LAFC in front of 20,000, dude, LAFC might have them beat yeah. just because of that unique type of atmosphere that you see around the world. Uh, and it's on a natural surface, right, not grass. The, the pro-rel is an interesting question because I do believe um, wholeheartedly that the league and the country is ready. Now, when you say that, you can't just look at Major League Soccer and those franchises. You also have to have to look at, can you build, you know, Division Two, II, Division Three? Can the media partners come in together and look at it? And I, I, I've, I've said this on the record, and I'll say it again. World Cup 2026 is coming here with a unique opportunity the way World Cup 94 was. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there. Will it happen? I don't see it happening. Do I think it should and could? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think there's a real chance that you could create something. But the media groups have to be a huge part of that. For sure. And, and that's the most important thing, Drew, is that you know the ESPNs of the world have to buy into that and understand it and ultimately fund it. And uh, who knows, dude? I, I hope you and I do a podcast and a conversation about it at some point. But do I see it happening? I, I just don't see these. You know, Carolina just paid what Charlotte paid. Three hundred and fifteen million to get into Major League Soccer. I'm not totally sure, you know, MLS is going to do it. Now, U.S. Soccer could say that. Yep. And Drew, that's the one biggest misconception is that the federation could institute it, but uh, with how aligned they are, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about how important the MLS is or how much momentum is behind the league? David Tepper, the new owner of the Panthers, literally said, um, "I want that. I'm, I'm buying that. We're bringing yeah. a team to Charlotte," which shows and tells you everything you need to know. You're a professional. You just mentioned how important the media partners are. That leads me to my next round of questions. You're a star. You're the man on ESPN when it comes to soccer. Everybody knows who you are when you pop up on TV. You have a lot of segments with Scott Van Pelt as well. What was your transition into media like? Because you've done it seamlessly, moving from professional athlete into the media, and you've made a really nice niche for yourself. Yeah, lucky, Drew. Um, if I had it my way, buddy, I'd be playing golf and trying to qualify for uh, web.com <laughs> and, well, whatever it's called, the 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 what what is it called now? The, it's corn, the corn fairy, fairy tour? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we gotta get rid of that. Like <laughs> can, I mean good good for corn fairy, but I, I can't that doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh I don't know, Drew. I, I hated the media. I don't know about you, but I I never saw this. I never when I was playing, you know it, when I had to start thinking, I had to start thinking a lot sooner than I wanted to, you know, twenty seven, twenty eight in the prime of your career, and then all of a sudden getting a nasty concussion, can't recover. I didn't know what to do. But if you would have told me I was going to do this while I was playing, I would have said no. It's not that I hated the media. It just never really interests me. And um, so I've just been lucky. Uh, I will say I, I had a unique opportunity during the 2010 World Cup where locally in Boston I hosted uh, sports talk radio on television uh, basically, all the sports talk radio gurus in the city would come on TV and for 30 minutes at 5.30 p.m. and then at 10.30 p.m. at nighttime, there was a guy at, at uh, NBC Sports Boston, Kevin Miller, who just was like, do you want to host it and see if you like it? Dude, I, I had no teaching, <laughs> no classes, nothing. I was thrown right into the 
that's kind of where I was like, you know what? This is actually fun. Uh, calling games, Drew, to put a bow on this is as close to being in the game as you can get. And that, I think, helped me mental health-wise, trying to get over my career For ending sure. and, and trying to get through the concussion. So it kind of kept me in the sport. Uh, and at the time, I didn't know that. But now, having done it 11 years or so, now I look at it and say, thankfully it did because it's really kept me into the sport where if I didn't have it, I'm not totally sure I, I, I know what I would be doing and even if it would be connected to the sport, if that makes sense. No, man, it makes total sense. And you mentioned you weren't the biggest fan of the media when you were playing or you didn't envision yourself joining the media after your playing days. But guys like you, I think, are the ones who, who have athletes or people take a breath of fresh air, right? It's original. Uh, you come at it from a different perspective. You're recent, right? It's not like you played soccer years and years and years ago and you sit there and go, hey, well, when I was on, when I played right. This. I mean, yep. you, you know these guys, you know the players, you know the coaches. I think that's a very unique perspective to bring. Um, and, I, and I, for one, am a huge fan. You're active on ESPN, um, and you get to work with some great people. Ian Dark, I mean, that's your boy right there. Yeah. How, how awesome is it working with him? If you have a play-by-play guy like that, that's got to be pretty special. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, Ian Dark's like Mr. Belvedere and a mad scientist all wrapped in one. If you saw his notes before a game, you'd be it's like reading hieroglyphics. And yet <laughs> he's got food on his face. His ties crooked. And then the red light goes on and it's just different. I also work with a guy by the name of John Champion who has been around this game for 30 some odd years. When I was growing up playing video games, he was the voice. Uh, my first year at ESPN, Drew, they gave me 10 play-by-play people and some worked some didn't uh chemistry you can't force but what a unique way for me to learn the craft by seeing so many different people do it um that's been good you know that's been huge uh part of the reason why i love espn and why i stayed there and didn't move on um is you know it's still got a little northeast in its blood and and they're okay telling you when you're good but they love telling you when you're bad and i kind of Drew, you know this as an athlete. Some of us thrive on that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we enjoy being told you're not good at something and trying to improve. And, and so that's been a real blessing for me. Uh, plus, just it, you got to have thick skin, Drew. In this world of social media, the moment you got a microphone, you start talking, 55% of that fan base can't stand you. Mm-hmm. And that viewer's not going to like you because you're saying something that they don't like. And if you're okay with it, then this is then it gets to be kind of fun. It's like the Howard Stern rule. Howard Stern always says, if yeah. people like you, they'll listen for five minutes. But if they hate you, they'll listen for ten because they just want to yeah. listen to the next thing, just so they can tweet at you or say something negative. Which I guess is the the welcome to 2020 social media moment. And um, obviously, you caught fire after your rant when the United States missed out on the World Cup. Was there really a change in your personal, I guess, acceptance among the media after you just went scorched earth? But but honestly, and it wasn't like this hot takeism that we see today. I think it was very refreshing. Yeah, Drew, it's, it's interesting. It was, um, for the listeners at home, it was on ESPN News. Think of that. I remember that. Yeah. ESPN News. So, like, live, when people were, you know, not a ton of people were watching it. And so I we were going into – so in Scott Van Pelt's meeting room, they have 10 TVs on the wall, and that night Messi was losing 1-0. 
he was on one TV, Argentina. So we had 10 World Cup qualifiers on there. And by the time the second half came around, it was literally the United States losing to Trinidad, and everyone's walking around, and the host of Sports Centers, Nicole Briscoe, and Max Bredos, and Max is sobbing, and he looks at me, he's like, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, Max, I don't know. He's like, we're on in 45 seconds. I said, just, let's make it I, I don't know. Let's just, just, let's talk it through, and we figure it out. And I did it. I kind of, you know, it was like, what, what's the movie? I blacked out. I don't know what I'd say. I blacked out. That's uh, old school. Will Ferrell. Old school, right? <laughs> and he, I, yeah. I didn't know. Like, it, it was real. It was not choreographed. It was not planned. Uh, I'm just so thankful I didn't curse because it was there. You know, the F-bomb was right there at the tip course. of my tongue. Um, and, yeah, and then an hour afterwards, about two hours afterwards, I knew something changed. Um, it was trending on Twitter. Uh, people were calling me from all over the world uh, asking to use the clip. I found out it was played in over 100 countries. Like, it just turned into that thing. And as, you know, the next night I was on with Scott Van Pelt, we talked about it for literally 20 minutes on a show. I think the biggest thing, Drew, was was just natural. It was real. Um, and it's to this day makes me sick to my stomach no, that actually really happened yeah i know no like you said though it wasn't fabricated i mean that raw emotion got across and and, and for good reason it, it gave you even more momentum towards your awesome career in the media man um i can't thank you enough for for joining us on the quarantine chronicles tell us how we can follow you throughout this self-isolation period let us know where you're going to be when the schedule gets back rocking and rolling and more importantly have you been able to play any golf taylor what you've been up to for the past couple of weeks so well the most important thing is i played one round of golf and then the state of massachusetts and governor baker shut it down as an essential business now in saying that the state of Rhode Island and Connecticut have not excellent, done it yet. Excellent. So as of today, I've not driven over the state borders and played yet, but I may. Um, no, All kidding aside, I'm trying to really be socially distant, and I think golf courses are okay. But listen, if, if – if they're telling me not to, I haven't, Drew. How about you? Yeah, Have no, you? I, I haven't. You know, we just had our second daughter, and we've been locked up. I mean, haven't even really seen the grandparents much. So we've just been extremely yeah, no. socially distant for good reason, our pediatrician said to. And, of course, it's 85 and sunny out today. We can't go play golf. But hopefully you and I can link up up at Boston Golf Club this summer when all this passes over. Absolutely, pal. Uh, at Taylor Twelman on Twitter, at Taylor Twelman on Instagram, and um... – I'll see you when I see you. Drew, great talking to you, pal. Absolutely, Taylor. Really appreciate you, my man. Huge thanks to Taylor Twelman for joining us on this episode of the Quarantine Chronicles. I apologize. I tried to edit out that echo that was on my end during the interview. Hopefully it wasn't too bad that you had to turn it off. Great to have Taylor join us. Thankful for his time. Obviously, he's a total stud on ESPN. Be sure to follow him on social media at Taylor Twelminch, follow us as well at Punt and Pass and follow me at Drew Butler. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Quarantine Chronicle. Stay safe and we'll talk to you then. See you.